Warning. The program you're about to hear is absolutely filthy and thoroughly disgusting. Furthermore, listening to it will immediately turn you into a bottom. Bottom. Listen, when, when it's messy, it's a problem for everyone in the room. Correct. All ten of them. I'm proud to declare the Adam Sank Show and his ass open to the wind. Ass open to the wind. This is fuckery. <laughs> this is all fuckery. <laughs> fuckery, fuckery, fuckery. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... Give a warm round of applause to my friend and yours, Adam Sank. Welcome. Yes, I am Adam Skank. Welcome to the Adam Skank Show. I am a little skanky. I just realized that uh, I'm a little bit pitted out right now. I have a little, a little bit of a funk going. I hope you guys can't smell it, but uh, I can smell myself. We're not live, by the way, but it, this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, November 19th in the year 2022, you better get your Thanksgiving shopping started here at dnrstudios.com and the DNR Cast app, the only place you can hear this podcast throughout the week that it first airs. So if you want to listen live, if you want to hear this episode before the rest of the world does, a whole week before, then go to dnrstudios.com and subscribe, please. It's only like seven bucks a month. Um, if you listen elsewhere, leave us your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use. Email me your dick pics, your whole pics, your poetry, your fantasies, everything at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page, get your ass merch at adamsank.com. Call the hotline, the ass hotline, anytime you want. It's 804-TALK-ASS. That's 804-TALK-ASS. Get vaccinated and boosted for the COVIDs and stand with Ukraine. Our guest today is uh, one of my oldest friends, Brian Thomas, an acclaimed choreographer and now the director of a new documentary called Amy's Victory Dance. We'll be talking to Brian in a little while, but first it's time to welcome back my lovely and talented guest co-host, Mr. Tarek Daniels. Thank you so much. So happy to be back again. Great to have you back. Thank you for doing this. Uh, welcome back, uh, JB, the queen of fuckery. Hello. The three, the three of us are kind of still reeling. We just finished uh, last week's episode, which is the Richard Pryor interview, and I think we all felt... It was a really compelling interview. It was really Adam Sank did like the, that was the best interview you've ever done. Oh my god, thank you. I haven't heard all of them, but I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> Shay, honestly, no. he, he was such a great guest. He was a, he was really yeah, he an, was. Op, an open book, mm-hmm. um, talking about a lot of difficult things. And you know, sometimes with guests, they they can ramble or they can get off topic. They can go on a tangent. I think because he is also a performer, yeah, he knows how to like give a succinct. And yet, thorough answer. Yep, it, I loved him. I loved him too. I learned so much. Um, what else? Uh, okay, we're gonna start today in an unusual way. We usually start the show, especially the second hour show. We start with something about dick or cum mm-hmm. or something filthy. We're gonna start by talking about the Bible. Oh, yay! So I'm sorry. Good <laughs> Jesus, what? <laughs> so my first question for both of you. Were either one of you raised in a religious family? Yes, ish. What okay. re- what religion? Christian. I know, but like, what denominate was it? Like, Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic? That's how much I didn't care for it. It was just a Christian, and I went to the Sunday schools. You don't remember the name of the church? No, because there's many of them. Mm. So. Which is why I'm a Buddhist today. Like it speaks volumes. I didn't know you were a Buddhist. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm learning this after five years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't talk about my religion too much. Do you like, chant? I do meditate every day or try to. Just figure out where my life is going wrong. <laughs> JB, not only am I shocked and amazed by this, but it really ties in with our guest because the main character in Brian's documentary. Amy is a devout Buddhist nice. and chants Nam Myoho Renge Kyo every day. Oh, good for her. She probably is a vegan too and gives up all her worldly possessions. She's probably better than me. <laughs> well, no one's better than anyone else. <laughs> Tark, were you raised in a religious household? No. Well, not my household. Both my parents were raised Baptist, and um, I went to church with my grandmother, who I miss dearly, and those are good memories. Um, but both my, my dad does not like going to church and my mother later in life she wanted she started going to church here and there but they they you know my mother believes in god i'm personally agnostic and not into religion at all uh so 
the, yeah, the only experiences. Well, I, my, I had a babysitter and then my grandmother. We would go. But me and my cousin, my grandmother was in the choir, and then me and my cousin would make fun of people, and we'd start getting giggles and write each other notes in church. Yeah, church I, giggles are the worst. I used, worst. I used to get synagogue giggles, giggles with my sister, and we would cry. <laughs> we would cry. We were laughing Inappropriate so laughter. It's, a, it's, the, it's, yeah. it's so funny. I didn't go to church because when my mom, she had a friend – uh, work friend that she's go to church with, and she, she had a little boy my age. Anyway, after church, me and little boy would do little boy things. So I guess that like was touch each other's reason. peepees. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I perfected my blowjob skills. Anyway, uh, like that was the only reason I remember going to church. <laughs> it sounds kind of wrong to play that sound when we're talking about children, but um, I mean, but it's my childhood. So I are the same now. age. Yeah, I didn't have nearly that much fun uh, growing up. I I was raised in the Reformed Jewish tradition, which is the most liberal branch of Judaism. Um, but although I have to say, we had to do a lot of shit. My parents didn't necessarily believe any of it, but like I had to go to religious school and Hebrew school. I had to wow. go to school on first on Saturdays, uh, so my parents would be in services and I would be downstairs at the at the school learning about like how to be a Jew. And then uh, as you got older, that became Sunday school. And then they added Wednesdays for Hebrew school. So Did you they could just do your bar mitzvah. You? I think it was about wanting to get rid of me. Yeah. I mean, they both were raised, neither of them were raised in super religious families, but they were raised in families that were more religious than ours. Like they didn't eat pork and we did. Mm. So all three of us, my sisters and I, we were all bar mitzvahed, although Anna really lucked out because she was bar mitzvahed in Israel which when you go to Israel as an American, it's like a five minute long ceremony. It's so fucking easy. We had to, Laura and I had to kill ourselves because we had to lead an entire service in Hebrew when we were like 13. But anyway, and then I was confirmed at 15. Needless to say, it, none of it means too much to me today. Um, I believe in a higher power, which to me is sort of the goodness in the world. Anytime I see someone being kind or unselfish, like to me, that's God. That's like the God spirit, and that's the only thing I pray to. But the reason I'm mentioning all of this is because there's a new documentary that claims that a mistranslation of a single word in the Bible has fueled homophobia worldwide since 1946. Mm. This isn't the first time I've heard about this, by the way, but this documentary is is kind of making waves. Um, it's called 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture. And it alleges that an, an actual accident in translation is responsible for much of the vehement homophobia that's plagued our culture for so many decades. Um, directed by Sharon Rocky Raggio, they point out that the word homosexuality never appeared in any Bible translation until 1946, after a committee had been gathered to provide an updated translation of the Bible from Greek to English. And uh, the verse in question is Corinthians 6, 9, 10. I never know what that means. Like chapter 6, something 9, verse 10, something, something like that. Something like that. Anyway, it's widely recognized as the following. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covet covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Shade. However, as the documentary outlines, homosexuality was an incorrect misinterpretation and an amalgamation of two different Greek words. In an interview with the Daily Beast, the director provided further clarity. She said, we're talking about a word, a medical term that has a connotation of a group of people that have an orientation, which is very different from what the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts referred to, which is an aggressor an abuser, somebody who has abused someone else and there's a victim on the other side. It's very different. So a more, a better translation would have been like predator or abuser or molester, not homosexual. The oh, you mean like priests themselves who abuse children mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, go figure. That would be, you know, <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead. Come on. <laughs> Not surprisingly, the movie has uh, become a flashpoint with many in the religious community attacking its legitimacy and trying to, quote, debunk its claims. Its director has received uh, death threats. And there's even a book that was, that's been published to refute the evidence uh, before anyone has even seen this documentary. So people are trying very hard 
to punch holes in this thing before it even comes out. Um, but the director says, our movie is more than just theology, it's history, it's society, it's politics, it's law, it's oppression. It's how these words have meaning. meaning. So um, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, well, uh, where can we see this documentary? Uh, I don't think it's out now. I think it's just doing festivals right now. But keep your eyes open. I'm sure it will be picked up by a streaming service soon. And once again, it's called 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture. I will be watching. Me too. Uh, In other news, this is just a story that really caught my eye and kind of made me do a what? (laughs) Miss Argentina and Miss Puerto Rico have gotten married. Ooh la la. Miss Argentina 2020, Mariana Varela, uh, who's 26, and Miss Puerto Rico 2020, Fabiola Valentin, who's 22, uh, posted on Instagram that they got married on October 28th after having kept their lesbian relationship out of the public eye. Lesbians! (laughs) Lesbians. After deciding to keep our relationship private, we opened the doors on a special day, the couple wrote in a joint message on both of their Instagram pages. An accompanying 30-second video shows candid moments between the two at the beach and on a boat ride. The video also includes scenes from their engagement with rose petals, red and white balloons, and gold and silver balloons spelling Marry Me in the background as they share a kiss. Um, the couple had posted photos together in recent years, but not shared that they were dating. You know, when women post photos of themselves with other women, hugging and kissing yeah. and holding hands, no one thinks they're lesbians, nope. especially when they look like these two. They're seriously lipstick lesbians. Lipstick <laughs> lesbianas. Um, same-sex marriage was legalized in Puerto Rico in 2015. Uh, same time it was legalized in the U.S., obviously, since Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. Argentina legalized it in 2010. Um, they both represented these countries in the 2020 Miss Grand International competition. Now, I don't mean to diminish the importance of this story, but have has anyone in this room ever heard of the Miss Grand International pageant? No. It ain't Miss Universe. <laughs> you know, it's probably one of those things that only pageant people know. Yeah. I think it's a minor pageant. I just love that there are two pageant women that are so gorgeous and they're together. Me too. And, and I don't know, maybe the pettiness in me is like, I'm so happy of all the men that they get to turn away and they don't need. All, exactly. All the all the, the straight men that want them are no denied. Lie. Same. Yeah. I was like, look at all these men who never are going to get a piece yeah. or a taste or a touch. Yep. More no men, more men for us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, I love any time these kinds of stories happen. It normalizes same-sex relationships in, in sort of a new arena. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that they're both uh, from Latin American countries, or Puerto Rico's, again, United States, Latin American cultures, I yeah. should say, um, is important. Latina love. Yes, honeys. Yes. Here's a story about monkeypox. Ooh. Which we haven't talked about in quite a while. It was it really dominated our summer shows. We talked about it every episode for weeks. I need my second vaccination. Tark. I know. So you never had an outbreak? No. Thank I never God. Had my first one. And JB's totally unvaccinated, but you're also celibate. Yeah. Celibate. But <laughs> yeah, I have. I just got an email <laughs> reminding me I need to go. I need to do that. I'm busy. I mean, Tark. A lot of people didn't get a second dose because they weren't available, and they all seem to be fine. Yeah, it's available. It's been offered. I, I want to get it because they say after the second dose, you're 100% immune forever. Don't do it because you're a little bit of a hoe, No, right? I, I used to be. Not anymore. And you, you know. Before you became a teacher? Yeah. Like you can't be <laughs> a teacher you're a and a slut. Yeah, you can. Um, <sighs> but no, I want to get it because uh, I don't want that. I, it's really bad. I had three friends that got it right off the bat and honey, it was not pretty. They were, I mean, they didn't get it all over their bodies. It wasn't like uh, those horrible pictures you see, yeah. but they got it all over their genitals Ugh. and they were in so much pain. Ugh. So anyway, um, it news about monkeypox's transmission, which is not terribly surprising, but I think it's worth mentioning. And it's British researchers now have shown that the virus can be spread up to four days before any symptoms appear. Mm-hmm. This is what makes these kinds of contagions 
so dangerous is that they were like, oh, when you hook up with someone, take a look. See if you can spot any monkeypox on them. Well, that's not going to help you. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Because it can be four days before symptoms appear and they're already contagious. The UK is actually one of the countries that has been worst hit by the monkeypox outbreak. Um, Gay and bisexual men make up over 90% of the cases. Um, But overall, worldwide, the rate of transmission has gone way down. It's plummeted. In total, the U.S. has reported more than 28,000 cases since the virus first appeared in the West in May. The total worldwide number of cases exceeds 77,000. But according to a recent NBC News analysis of CDC data, the seven-day average of reported new cases has gone from an average of 446 a day, that was back on August 7th, to just 29 a day on November 2nd. So it's still scary that 29 people are being infected in America every day, um, but 29 is a hell of a lot less scary than 446. Yeah, it is. But I just feel like with my luck, it'd be all over my face. Well, me too. I'm shocked that I didn't get it. I am too, because you are a whore. Thank you. Uh, Before you keep moving down... To the run, we're keep moving down the run now. Do we want to do the ventriloquist story from last Oh, week? yes. God bless you, JB. Okay. I love you. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> we ran out of time last week, and uh, I didn't want to skimp on Richard Pryor's interview at all. But there's a story that happened. This would have been a couple weeks ago now. Um, at a gay leather bar in Chicago, for some reason, they decided it would be a good idea to hire a ventriloquist to entertain the crowd. Now, let me just say right off the bat, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Nobody who goes to a leather bar wants to watch some dumbass ventriloquist and their puppets. So lame. Or a comedian, for that matter. Or even, I, I guess, maybe a great live singer or a fierce drag queen for like a minute. But Real quick. you're at a leather bar. You're really just looking to cruise and suck dick. Yeah, like I want to see live sex performance. Hire porn stars to be fucking in front of me at a leather bar. I didn't go to a drag uh, bar. Uh, <sighs> Anyway, this dude's name, uh, first of all, the bar is called Touche. It's a a renowned Chicago leather bar that recently celebrated its 45th anniversary. And they booked a ventriloquist named Jerry Halliday. And one of his puppet characters was a black woman character named Sister Girl. Now, the hosts requested that patrons not record any of the performance, but believe you me, once he started in with this sister girl character, a lot of people got their phones out. So uh, here is a clip of some of this performance, and you can already hear people in the audience calling him out over the racism of this. Take a listen. Back in the ass down, I'm going to explain something to you tonight. Now, when I was born, I was beautiful brown. When I grew up, I'm still brown. When I go in the sun, I'm brown. When I'm cold, I'm brown. When I, excuse me, shut the fuck up over there, Mr. Filthy. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, you can kiss my motherfucking ass, bitch. I'll come and touch you, baby. Don't fuck with me, honey. Shut your fucking mouth. I'm doing a fucking show. I'll go in the back room, honey, and go ahead and get some more hemorrhoids, okay, baby? Lord Jesus. And honey, when I die, I am still shut the fuck up over there. I'm putting over this shit. Still have a private conversation over there. Tark Daniels, your thoughts? The caucasity of this man. (laughs) I mean, I my jaw dropped. It's so dated and corny and not funny, and it's just an embarrassment. I, 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 in 2022. I, I and it, if if it was like thirty years ago, I, I would want it to even be better than that. It was just really pathetic and just. I have so many thoughts about this. First of all, he's a terrible ventriloquist. Horrible. You can see his lips moving the whole time. Second of all, the material's bad. Horrible. I was born brown. When I go yeah. in the sun, I'm still what, brown. What are you talking That's about? That's not even a joke. Yeah. There's what, no. What? There's no humor there, and. If you're going to do like a, minstre- a minstrelsy impression of a black woman, like do it good. Yeah. He sucks. He sounds like a white guy. He's no Shirley Q. Licker, that's for sure. That's what I was going to ask you about. Now, for those of you who don't know, Shirley Q. Licker is a white – is a character that a white – I don't even know if he's gay. A white comedian from the South has been doing for decades. 
that uh, I always considered highly offensive. And it's basically yeah. just him pretending to be this welfare mother named Shirley Q. Licker who's yeah. drunk and you know has a stereotypical uh, black accent. And uh, he's been canceled, right? That doesn't I, still happen. I believe so. I believe so. I and it made me think of that because I remember hearing Shirley Keeler and I'm not realizing it was a white man for a while and I thought it was funny back in the day. Well, because he actually sounded like a black woman. He really did. At the and very it was just least. hilarious to me. But when you know thinking about this guy and then it's just it's it's a big no. So I also thought about Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham's probably the most famous ventriloquist in the world. And he, over the years, has had a number of ethnic characters. He had like a um, a sweet uh, the daddy D. Yes, I, I grew up with Jeff Jeff Dunham. I was going to bring him up. One of his characters is Ahmed, the dead terrorist. terrorist. He's got a Mexican character. He has a white trash character. Well, the uh, white trash character is fine. But that's the one I'm familiar with the most. So I think Jose the Jalapeno. Jose, <laughs> so Dunham's taken a lot of shit for that in recent years, and I think he's probably you know stopped doing those characters. Yeah, but at least he has talent. Yeah, this guy's so bad. If you're gonna be a racist and offensive, you at least be funny with it. Exactly. So he was called out by people in the bar, uh, white and black people who were there that night, started heckling him and saying like, "Hey, this isn't funny. Stop." You can hear some of that during the clip, and but but management did not pull him off. And Tark and I were having this conversation uh, off the air. Like, if you had been, he, Tark was asking me if I had been there and I see this racist ventriloquist with this black puppet character, would I have confronted him and been like, "Hey, that's racist. Get off the stage." And it's such a hard question because, as a comedian, my first instinct is like, never interrupt anyone's act. Mm -hmm. Like, I once booked. Uh, I'm not going to say his name. A, a comedian a New York comedian who I think is very funny and talented for a, a local show in my hometown. And I've only ever seen him kill and be great and lovely. And for some reason, he decided to do 9-11 material. Oh. And the town I come from, Summit, New Jersey, lost about 40 people on 9-11. Like, it is a very raw subject, even all these years later. This was like three or four years ago when he came. And he, his jokes were so not funny and so shocking. He's like, you know, when one of the towers fell, I was like, hey, we still got one tower, right? Oh and I was God. like, what are you doing? And people stormed out and people started crying. And I had a woman oh, screaming man. at me in the hall saying, how could you do this to us? And I didn't pull him off. Because I just felt like, I, how do I pull him off? I mean, the damage was done. He's already up there. But I, I know. Yeah. But I feel like situations like these, it's like, seeing a fire what do you do you'll call the police or you're gonna put it out yourself i i i don't know i call the police it. yeah or the fire department but like then but then wouldn't you have pre-screened this person like isn't the person's job the host's job to make sure that the act very good question like, so the bar the bar was attacked for that very thing and people said how could you have brought him here um they have published uh a statement you know saying they deeply apologize um you know, they were widely attacked for having him. And Did they know his act? Who knows if they knew it or not. I mean, if they had any familiarity with him, they should have not booked him on the basis that he just sucks. Yeah. He's a terrible performer. Um, anyway, it went online and on the internet and people were freaking out. And so here is Jerry Holiday's non-apology for his performance. Um, uh, I have permanently retired. <laughs> this is Jerry Holiday speaking. I have permanently retired the Black Puppet, just like the Rolling Stones recently retired their song "Brown Sugar" when they received similar criticism. I have been doing my show for 20 years for thousands of people of all races to standing ovations and rave reviews in the press. Then suddenly, a handful of people at Touche attack me, while the majority there were enjoying my show. That's a lie. Lie. We heard no laughter. This is not an apology. It's not. The one-sided attacks on my act have been greatly exaggerated with many total fabrications. Um, Halliday didn't mention the fabrications or exaggerations. He didn't explain them. Uh, but his statement downplays the scope of the actual attacks on his performance, acting as if they just came from one community when actually everybody who was there was condemning this act. So, um, yeah. That's what we call a Karen apology. Mm -hmm. It's not a real apology. No. It sounds like one. A fake no. apology. It, he's pissed off, basically. Yeah. 
he doesn't understand what he did wrong or what what was wrong with the character. Yeah. The caucasity of it all. The caucasity. Retire the black puppet. Retire everything. Go away, dude. <laughs> retire yourself. Retire yourself. Um, we started talking about this a little last week. Uh, oh, actually, no, we didn't. We're going to cut that part out. Okay. <laughs> we had some technical problems last week. That was no one's fault. And uh, so for two minutes, we just were kind of vamping and we started talking about this. But that's going to be edited out. So let's talk about Dave Chappelle. Oh, yes. Dave Chappelle hosted SNL last Saturday. Um, it will have been last Saturday yeah. when this premieres. And you were saying, Tarek, that you you remain a fan of his. I, I am still a fan of his. I'm not a fan of... I mean, the initial tr um, trans, trans jokes didn't upset me as much. But the fact that he's continued on and on and on with it, I think it's time for him to let it go. It seems like an obsession and odd. Because to me, Dave Chappelle can talk about anything and it'll be funny. But the fact that he's he's holding on to this, I think it's time to move on. I still will be tuning in to SNL. I totally understand people not being into him because of his um, transphobic jokes. Um, and I'm interested to see where he's going to go from there, if he's going to finally move on. I don't know. I actually think he's not funny anymore. <clears throat> I haven't found him funny in years. And he used to be one of my all-time favorites, brilliant. No one could craft a joke like him. I think he's just become like kind of an angry provocateur who doesn't really have that many jokes. He still cracks me up. He still cracks you he up. He really does. And that's kind of like why I said it before. I'm torn. Uh, I remember but, the last time he hosted SNL, he didn't do any anti-trans stuff, but I still found his monologue to be kind of weird and I, unfunny. I, the hosting of SNL, I enjoyed it. It wasn't his best. Um, I'm thinking more of his stand-up, his specials that I do still think are funny, but... Uh, I have a big problem with him. I think he's I think he's just a fucker. And I think knowing the harm that he's caused to the trans community and refusing to take any responsibility or to apologize for it and to continue to say, like, well, you're not getting the joke and you're not appreciating my art and you're trying to silence me. It's like you, you just keep kicking this community that gets kicked constantly. Yeah. like yeah, Every day of their life they get kicked. He, his, his ego is really out of control. It's out of control. Anyway, um, someone told Page Six, someone from SNL, a source, uh, told Page Six that there were certain SNL writers who were boycotting that episode of SNL. They did not want to be a part of it due to Chappelle's hosting it. And I haven't heard about anything like this since the 80s when Andrew Dice Clay mm -hmm. hosted. Do you remember? Yeah. And Sinead O'Connor refused to appear as musical guest. They moved her to a different week. Yeah, Nora Dunn. And Nora Dunn and yep. um, who's the other one who I love? Jan Hooks. Oh, yeah. Both refused they to appear happy. in that episode. I haven't heard of anything like that since then. Uh, and it's really interesting to see you know, uh, Chappelle in the same league as Andrew Dice Clay. Chappelle is a far superior comedian yeah. and so much smarter, which is part of why I'm mad at him yeah. because I feel like he knows better. Um, anyway, we don't know if this is true. Um, Chappelle was at uh, 30 Rock on Tuesday meeting before the shows with writers and producers. Um, this is according to his representative. And that, that person said there was no evidence of a boycott. Um, but after it was announced that he was going to be on the show, one SNL writer named Celeste Yim posted a picture on Instagram and said the following, I'm trans and non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. Transphobia is murder and it should be condemned. They didn't directly reference Chappelle, but many people felt that the timing of the post um, suggested that they were targeting uh, yeah. his appearance. Chappelle previously received backlash from the LGBTQ plus community following his Netflix special, The Closer, which angered viewers because of uh, the jokes that were aimed at the trans community. I mean, again, I don't think they were jokes. I think him standing on stage going, gender is a fact. I don't see, where's the humor? He's just ranting. Did you, did you watch the special? I did. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly what, what he says, but I understand where you're coming from. We agree to disagree. Yes, we do. And we still love each other. I love you very much. Very much. Um, I think those are all the stories. Let me see. We're a little early. Let me see if I uh, We have a cocktails and cock talk oh, yes. story we can do. Go ahead and do the cocktails and cock talk story. Sure. Give me one second. And now, time for another stupid story from cocktails and cocktalk.com. Yeah, suck my cock. 
That's Frank Guiotti at the end. I love that. So love Cocktails that. and Cock Talk asks the question, are some guys too hot for dating apps? In other words, are some guys, because they're so hot, um, almost discriminated against when they go on Grindr or Scrub or other hookup apps because people look at the pictures and they say, oh, this person's too hot for me. I'm not even going to approach him. Is this a real problem? Tarek Daniels, you say what? No, I don't think it's a real problem because I think that they're just going to like the other hot guys. People need to know who's who they will match with. Like, you have to have some awareness because I will be on an app and I'll be like, okay, this guy is out of my league and it's fine. He's actually a little too perfect for me. Exactly. But... But he's so what not, if everyone's doing that to him? But no, because people that are in shape and have a six pack like him and ha- and look like him and are also like an architect or a lawyer and are on these <laughs> wonderful vacations, they're, 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 I mean, there's somebody for everybody. I find most of the time those guys are not lawyers or, or doctors. They're like OnlyFans models. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I've seen a lot of architects. Hmm. And then, and then I'm like, oh, he's even more hot because he's an architect and he can. <laughs> he's smart and he could. Build things and <laughs> it's creative. Well, someone someone on Reddit wrote, "Sometimes I'll be on dating apps and I'll swipe left or not reply to a guy because they're too hot. Um, sometimes really hot guys show an interest in my profile, and quite often I don't get back to them, even if I think they're stunning. Uh, his reasons are include if I'd want to be with <laughs> if do I want to be with someone who's objectively hotter than me." Now, this I understand. I had a boyfriend for four years who was objectively hotter than me, like a lot. This is my ex, Philip. Everywhere we went, people like tripped over me to get to him and would say things to me like, you are so lucky, <laughs> which How is not a nice thing to hear. It's not. You're a very you good you're the ugly now. person and it's like, oh, shit, I'm the ugly friend. <clears> yeah, I felt fucking ugly me. being with him. So it's I would rather ugly. be the hotter one. I'd or rather I'd, be the hotter one, Or too. I'd rather it be equal. Equal. Equal is the best, I think. I don't know. I've always been the ugly friend. And, okay, so here's my response when people call me beautiful and stuff. It's like, stop it. Why are you lying? Who, who are you talking to? You're not talking to me. Clearly you're not talking to me. This is a lie. Well, you need to work on that in therapy. Yes. <sighs> you, maybe this is his therapy right you now. You are beautiful <laughs> no matter what they say. But I want to see the, a picture of the person who said all that. Like, I need to see. I need visuals. But I or get it. Like, like Sometimes when I see a guy who looks like that online, I think that person is going to be hit up by every single horny queen on this app. I don't think that they're going to be into me. Didn't I mean, I might send them like a um, whatever, like a woof or, or something, but I'm not going to take didn't it Didn't Tinder have a thing where they were telling you this was a, a popular person? It used to – I don't go on there a lot. I, Yeah, I'm not on Tinder. But yeah, it used to have like um, top fan – like. Top person, like, and it'd be like somebody, like a supermodel. It's so creepy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're well, ranking people. Yeah, this is America. Anyway, I I say the bottom line is I'm not going to feel sorry for anyone who's incredibly hot. Yeah. I think it's a huge advantage to go through life hot um, and to have a big dick, which I do not have. Thank you. Uh, on that note, <laughs> what a segue! Our guest today is one of my oldest friends. We met 30 years ago when I was a college student at the University of Michigan, and he was a stripper at a gay bar. Yes, he's wearing his Detroit shirt. He's gone on to become one of the most successful choreographers in the world, working with megastars like Michael Jackson, Liza Minnelli, Mary J. Blige, and Pink, and scoring an Emmy nomination along the way. He's now a filmmaker, and his first feature film is a documentary that's been tearing up the festival circuit. It is up for Oscar consideration. It's called Amy's Victory Dance. This movie follows Amy Jordan, a dancer who was run over by a bus in 2009, leaving her nearly dead. After years of recovery and struggle, she returns to dance to tell her own story. In this scene, Amy goes to the emergency room uh, and has to fill out standard forms in the waiting room. Take a listen to this. What is this? Jesus, my medical history. We don't have time for this today. Ninety-seven. Other health problems. Oh. Oh. What should I write here under other health problems? 
I'm just going to write hot mess. And please give a warm ass welcome to the director of Amy's Victory Dance, Brian Thomas. Oh, that's not right. Brian Thomas, hit the applause. Come on. Oh, I think that's maybe your headphones and your mic getting too close. Welcome, Brian. Hey, how are you? Brian is here with us in the studio. Yeah, you sound good. Say something. Talk to us. Are you nervous? Yeah, I'm a little nervous. Weren't you just After on the hearing t- the whole stories and everything? I'm weren't like, oh, you no, just to be dragged into this? <laughs> I remember Philip. Weren't you just on the Tamron Hall show? This is nothing compared to yeah. that. Yeah, actually, Amy was, but I was backstage. Oh, they didn't bring you on? No, it was about her. Well, that's unfair. No, no, she's she's our little star here. Brian, look at us together 30 years later. You are a famous choreographer and director, and I'm hosting a podcast that's listened to by several dozen people. <laughs> You're famous, Adam. How did, you, how did you climb ahead of me so much? Uh, you know, I had no choice. Sink or swim, as Grandma said. You know, the last time I saw you in Michigan before I graduated, it was probably around 1993. By the time I caught up with you, we caught up with each other kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s, like you were already a, a massive choreographer. What happened in those years? Because it's not a very long period of time. Like within a decade of leaving Michigan, you, you really established yourself big time in the dance world. How did you do it? You know, I think, um, I think coming from a martial arts background, where everything's about mindset and it's all about um, challenging yourself as opposed to you know going after other people. It's, it's about you and about being your best self. So I really applied that you know, coming from the stripper circuit in Michigan. When I came to New York, I was like, you know, I want to dance with Michael Jackson. I want to do this stuff. And I just lost my father when I was 18. So I was coming from a really traumatic thing and I was trying to get away from you know, something that was really hurtful. And I felt like I had nothing to lose. So when I was in New York, I'm like, well, I'm doing this. It's, 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 it's all or nothing. So I went in with the mindset of I'm doing it. And I was in classes like five days a week. I had no professional training. In Up Michigan. until then? No, it was go-go bars. <laughs> Were you ever naked in those bars? No, I was one of the, I don't want to say I was one of the good ones because there's no bad ones. I just wasn't getting my things like in the back room. I was more about the performance. I had the international male sequence thongs. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rip away like Chippendales and do Apollo Abdul number. And I love the performance part of it. And I love paying my rent in one night as opposed to working at Red Lobster for right. two weeks. So you get to New York and you start taking classes. And then when is like your first break? Uh, my first break was actually one of the biggest jobs ever. It was the 95 MTV Music Awards with Michael Jackson for Dangerous. And they needed one white guy. My uh, agent, I, had, I got an agent, believe it or not, because uh, there were no agents in New York at that time, called me and they said, we need one guy to fill in because someone from L.A. is not coming to do this number. So I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. This is it, this is it, this is it. It's my opportunity, it's my opportunity. So my roommate at the time also loved Michael Jackson, and he was a much better pop locker. He was just phenomenal. But I knew they needed one guy. So for like, MJ. For this, it was at Radio City, yeah, for the MTV Music Awards. But for an MJ performance. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I don't know if you remember the white, uh, the red gloves and the hats and the dangerous and Janet's and the, the whole thing. So I snuck my roommate in and he used the same agent because I figured if I didn't get it, I wanted him to get it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened, but they got rid of somebody. And I don't know, by some random grace of God, we both booked it. So we both ended up touring with Michael Jackson after that. So two years after you leave Michigan as a gay bar stripper, an untrained gay bar stripper. <laughs> Very untrained. You go on tour with Michael Jackson. Yeah, this is my 30th year anniversary. I moved here at the end of 92, and this was the 95 Music Awards I feel like you and Madonna have very similar trajectories. <laughs> I feel like you both <laughs> left Michigan, moved to New York, and uh, just fucking blew up. I just, You know, I used to go in the studio where she would dance at University of Michigan when I was there going to college for like five minutes. I didn't even know you went to Michigan. I didn't know you ever went to college. No, I didn't go to University of Michigan. I was in Ann Arbor. I was going to Ypsilanti, Ypsil- yeah, Ypsilanti the, the College. community college because yep. that's all I could afford. Which was right across the street from the porno bookstore that I would oh, rent my yes, very I first gay that. porn videos. God, I, I had to go to Ypsilanti for that. Yeah, the Nectarine Ballroom. But so would you, you'd see Madonna in rehearsal? No, I heard that she would rehearse in the studio when she was in Michigan. So I would go in there and pretend I was Madonna and I'd be like, <laughs> human nature. And 
Oh, good. But I think you are similar. I think you both had tough upbringings. You both experienced great personal losses, and you were just like, I gotta, I gotta make it. And they're both white. And they're both white. Thank She's you, Tara. Italian. Are you also, you're also <laughs> Italian? Yeah, yeah. See, they're both Italian. See, in my generation, I was, I was a WAP without papers. They used to call me the little WAP. Right. I don't know if people know that. Italian really wasn't considered white. There was, the a, there was a time. I mean, I think. I mean, the early 70s. I want to say by the 90s, you were pretty assimilated in white culture. I was a little darker culture. then because I was out in the sun more. Yes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, tell us about Michael Jackson. Because you, you would ultimately wind up chore choreographing for him. Yes, yes? I, was, I was very blessed to tour and do a lot of shows. And then there was all that drama that came out, which I completely separate myself from because I just love him so much and I love the work. Um, so there was nothing. I, I toured with Maya and different artists during that time, Ricky Martin, and I was very lucky. As a dancer? Or as, as a dancer. A, uh -huh. As a dancer. If they came to New York and they were going to book someone, it was going to be me. I mean, that was my mindset. I'm booking this job. That's awesome. So I was just, I didn't care about the competition. I was going to book. And I usually did because I wanted it. Um, well, you must have been very good, too. I mean, there was a lot of amazing dancers in New York. I wasn't the most technical guy here. And I wasn't the best choreographer i think i just had more passion than anybody and when i dance i feel like i am alive you sound like madonna <laughs> so what was michael like as a person just like on a one-on-one -on -one basis when I you mean, had to deal with him when we were dancing all of us there was 14 guys that were part of his crew so we all hung out together we watched films to be inspired by what we were doing choreography wise when I choreographed for him individually, this was for the, the 30th anniversary special that came to New York, thank God. Um, I didn't even know I was going to choreograph for Michael. I was only supposed to choreograph the first part of the show. I was working for David Guest. I know you remember the whole Oh, David yes. Guest Liza Minnelli's oh, ex-husband. Don't ex even get me going. I have Liza stories. Can't talk about it on the radio. But anyway. Yes, you can. No, I can't. I'll be in big trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was only supposed to choreograph the first half. Whitney Houston. I mean, Missy Elliott, my freaking idol. I love Miss Missy more than anybody. I was always doing her in my class. Um, but then later, he's like, you need to choreograph something for Michael. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. I mean, he's got his choreographers. I was a dancer for Travis and Lavelle. I fucking love these guys. They're so amazing. No, no, no. It's going to see something for me. It's you. Just put something together. You have like three days. And I'm like, I can't put something together for Michael Jackson in three days. And I talked to my assistant, and I'm like, I'm so stressed out. And it was just so much. It was crazy. I just got custody of my son. It was just so much stress. I was like, I have we to We should do mention this. you had a son when you were a teenager, right? I was, yeah, I was 20. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, Which, that's a whole nother, just past that's a bar years. conversation with drinks. <laughs> I, you said you didn't want to get dragged into the allegations about Michael. And I know you have no way of knowing what happened and what didn't happen. Right. What was your sense about him in terms of his sexuality? Honestly. I mean, I really focused on the work as far as whatever that is. I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's a fucking man. Who can I swear? Sorry. Yes, okay. of course. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's a man. He's, he's, like our, he's like everybody else. Would I ever leave my son at someone else's house? Hell no. Right. Does he have the potential to do something like that? Of course he does. So I think that's a problem with idolizing people that have all this great power, like the Vow docuseries I've been watching lately. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You know, idolizing great... and, and having all these gods. You know, you got to be careful because sometimes they twist that power, Donald Trump, and they just use it against you. And, you know, I don't know if he did. I don't know if he didn't. I chose to just not think about it. But would I leave my son with him? Never. Nobody. Did you feel like he was like you were dealing with a strange person or in the work no, he was, it, was he a totally normal let me person? tell you when we when we when i choreographed beat it in three days because i was like it's from my martial arts background i'm like if i'm gonna do anything i want to choreograph beat it and i stayed up all night fucking putting this number together for a concert for no to show michael in three days to see if he was going to do it for the 30th anniversary okay special. okay this was not planned so, so not for the video the video no, no, had no, already no. come oh, out oh god no that was that was my idol michael peters you can't okay me. that's when i was like eight years old and that was the first choreography right. you would have been a little a young for that that's why i wanted to do it right because i doubt started me like being interested in dancing so i put together beat it taught the dancers michael came in he freaking loved it which i can't believe and we had to rehearse the next day just him and i so it was my first time I ever had a loan with Michael. And we were at SIR Studios for like four hours rehearsing that number. And I just got to tell you, it was like an outer body experience. Because sure. he's so 
freaking brilliant and he was very special and i just i was so inspired by him and he wasn't odd i didn't feel any i mean i just felt like he was one of us he was childlike he i mean when my son was in rehearsals with us my son one one rehearsal he put candy on the chair and drew a picture of michael and he's like hey michael you're, this is your seat to my son our, our, my son said that to michael sorry and he flipped out he was laughing and fell out like a little kid yeah. in front of all the dancers it was just like a child so he really did have that my my take on him from everything i've read and seen is that he was a child he thought of himself as a mm -hmm. child he had a suspended childhood because he never really was able to grow normally he didn't have any parental supervision his brothers didn't protect him you know all kinds of shit happened to him on the road i think and so I do believe he molested those kids, and I think he justified it by saying, like, well, I'm a kid, too. I'm just a kid playing with other kids. Like, I think that's sort of how he made it right in his head. Mm -hmm. Do you have an opinion, Tark? I do, because I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. Like, when I was a little boy, people were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I'm going to be Michael Jackson. Like, when I was five, I thought that was possible. Kids can be stupid sometimes. But I, I, I also believe that he molested those kids. It took me a while. To believe that and I defended him for many many years um, I still love the music and yes I do understand that he was childlike and all of that but at the end of the day he was still a grown man like we all a lot of us do have difficult childhoods where we aren't able to be a child and have to deal with that but I don't it doesn't I, justify I, I've, I've stopped going there with it. right I understand where you're coming from because I used and to I wasn't I'm not defending I know, him at I all know you're not I, but I just it, it, it saddens me um, because I, I still love the music and he's still the greatest entertainer of all time. And when you just did when you I just got chill when you just did the little bit of a beat it, <laughs> you just did your your hands like that, yeah. I got chills thinking yeah. about the video and just his movements were just It sucks because he did so much for for dance and music and just changed everything. Yeah. Have you seen MJ on Broadway yet? No. So I saw it. Uh someone got me a comp ticket and I came away from it like th feeling like I can hold both things in my mind. I can hold in my mind the fact that he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest entertainers of all time, an incredible dancer, an incredible musician, a visionary, and also probably a child molester. I can hold both those things and, and be okay with that because, you know, he's dead and I don't, I don't, I don't have children that I'm putting, you know, that he's taking, you know what I'm saying? Like I it doesn't separate the artist from the artist. Yeah. I can totally do. I that. mean, there's some I Woody, there's some Woody Allen films that I are my favorite films. I still think he's a yeah. fucking psycho. Yeah, but uh, Blue Jasmine I, was great. Uh, <laughs> Brian, I want to get into the documentary. So, so you're this like famous choreographer, and then you go into photography, and are successful at that. Like, I just feel like you fall ass backwards into success. But I also know that you work your ass off at everything you do. Then you're like, okay, I'm going to go to film school. What made you decide you're going to now be a filmmaker? Um, at the time I was living in, in LA and I think it was a breakup <laughs> and going into my forties. I'm like, what am I going to do now? I've been doing this for so long and I just felt like I needed a change. I'm also an Aries. So I'm, and I also have ADHD. So I'm like squirrel, squirrel. Like I got to <laughs> find the next thing and have a lot of energy all the time. Uh, as you remember, Adam. So I was like, you know, I want to do music <laughs> videos or something like that. I don't know what the ding means. But it sounded like you were saying something sexual. Oh, yeah, I probably was. But anyway, Energy. Uh, yeah, we used to have a lot of fun together, Adam and I. We go way back. You're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time on my own show, I'm speechless. We go clubbing together all the time. We had a lot of fun. We did have some fun. We did. Hmm. We did. But anyway, I, I started taking some classes because if I'm going to do it, I want to know how to do it. I, I don't want to ask somebody, like, how do you, what's the lighting? I don't know what that is. And. So I went back to School of Visual Arts, SVA, and I just took up pickup classes, continuing education classes, where it doesn't matter about your grade, you're just there to learn shit. So I would take those classes at night, and I, you know, I learned a lot about lighting, about filmmaking, about camera angles, about the whole thing. And then I met Amy when I was in my documentary class, because I thought I was going to do music videos and stay in the commercial world. But when I met Amy and heard her story, it really shifted my perception of everything now, changed. Now, how did you meet her? She, was she in film school too? No, no, no. She actually came, she found me on uh, Facebook and she saw that I did photos. Oh, right. And she came to me for a photo shoot for her dance company. So it was like two two years, I think. And after you, you had decided your goal when you went to film school was you were going to direct commercial films. 
you weren't going to be a documentarian. Well, when I was in the in the documentary class, it's funny because my experience with Michael, I have footage that nobody's ever seen. Michael Jackson. With Michael, yeah. Mm -hmm. Him on stage with Britney. And, and like, I have a lot. I have footage. And I was thinking, oh, maybe one day I'll make, you know, like, I was just thinking I should do something there. But then, like I said, I met Amy. And I'm like, you know, this is all drama on this side. It's great, the commercial world, whatever. But when I met Amy and heard her story, and she never got to live the life that I did. I got to tour and do all these incredible things, and she never had that opportunity. And we're the same age, the same caliber of dance, but she just had all these obstacles and disabilities. So I really wanted to touch on this. Yeah, I mean, you, first of all, I can't recommend the documentary highly enough. It's streaming right now on Amazon. Um, and I honestly, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I honestly believe it's going to get an Oscar nomination. And if you win... I want you to make a promise that you are going to thank me in your <laughs> acceptance speech. I want to thank Adam Sank, who has the best <laughs> ass in all of New York City. Ding. Is that a promise? That, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll be watching. Absolutely. Anyway, it's a fabulous movie. And I mentioned in the introduction that she was run over by a bus. That's like only a tiny part of what happened to her. Do you want to talk about sort of what Amy's challenges have been throughout her life? I mean, the bus is... You know, it's the That's it's the, the big, big it's the big thing. Right. And when I like I said, when I met her, she had shorts on, and I was like, "What happened to your leg?" Because it's it's completely deformed. Yes. And she's like, "I got hit by a bus, ha ha ha!" And she's cracking up about it. Just look at my leg, and she kisses it like she's just so happy and grateful she has it as a dancer, as a former dancer. Because they wanted they, to amputate. They it. wanted to amputate her leg, and then she told me the whole story. I was like, "Fuck, I'm worried about getting a bald spot." <laughs> right. She, she's like, she's had all these issues. She's, she grew up with diabetes, which completely made her blind in one eye because when she was in LA, she was trying to be skinny with all the, all the other she dancers. Was, she was anorexic. So then she became anorexic and she would, she would binge eat and then she would make herself throw up and she got into this vicious cycle and her dad's an eye doctor. How ironic. Um, I think it was about six months into it. She calls her dad. I'm seeing spots. And he's like, you have to get surgery. Oh my God. And she lost her vision in one eye. And in her other eye, it's only peripheral. She can only see what's directly in front of her. Right. Which is, so, so this all happened before the bus accident. This was in she her was, 20s. She was legally blind in her 20s. This was in her 20s. So she had no... I mean, and that put an to end her, to her dancing career. Done. I mean, how can you be on stage and you can't see? You can't even drive. And all of this... I mean, if you're listening to this and you think, why would I ever want to watch this movie? It sounds like a big fucking downer. The thing is, <laughs> she's the most resilient spirit I've ever seen. She has so first of all she's hilarious she reminds me of like a young like gilda radner you know uh although i guess actually she's older than gilda radner was when she died but but that same kind of like just really self-deprecating and seeing the irony and everything and seeing the light and the darkness yes the what she has survived and what she has done with her life since the accident in creating this uh explain to me brian did she create the dance company or did yes. she just do this dance with that company? No, no. She, this was her dance company that she said when she was under the tire of a bus that if I survive the night, there's going to be – she kept seeing victory because of her, her practice is SGI Buddhism. Yes. It's all about having a victory. So she kept seeing victory, victory, and she's a dancer. So she thought Victory Dance Project, that's going to be the name of her company. So I think it was um, 10 years after her accident, she started Victory Dance Project. And it was a bunch of dancers from Alvin Ailey and all this stuff. And she would put together this show to bring awareness about disability right. and about her journey. So that's kind of when I met her, her third year going into it. Now, when I went to see the film, uh, there was a screening in Brooklyn in Cobble Hill Cinemas. And you and Amy were both there and you did, did a Q&A. She mentioned that y it was just you. You were basically one man banding the filming of this with a single camera. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> For the most part, Yes. For 90% of it. And yes. using natural light. Yes. I had no lights. I mean, for like, you know, the glam shots where I did a couple cutaways just for the dream sequences. You know, I did have my friend come in that had a nicer camera than I did. Um, and he shot some of the, the But this stuff. is what I'm saying about you falling into success. Like, you just went to film school. This is your first thing. And you're the director. You're but the producer. You're the cameraman. It. You're the editor. It's just making a decision. Like how, but you just how, have to make a decision. Okay. You have to see yourself at the end of your goal and just go backwards. But here's my real question. Where does the confidence come from? You must believe 100% in yourself to do these things and to succeed so on such a grand scale. Here, I don't. Honestly, it's, it's not that I 
I have all this self-confidence or whatever. It's just, I don't think that way. I just, I want that and I'm going to get it. I feel like, you know, your childhood and your stuff that happened in the past being in Michigan was very traumatic. So I've seen the worst, you know, my dad shot himself. I mean, it can't get any worse than that for me personally. Mm. So it's like, okay, (laughs) the other extreme is I'm going to do this. And I feel like you get one life to live and why is this person better than me? Or why can't I have it? You know what I mean? Like I set my goal. This is what I want. And then you just practice until you get it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think I that's don't. incredible. I wish everyone had what you have. I wish everyone has what Amy had. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned like, oh, I'm worried about a bald spot. Like that's how I came away from the film. I came away like my problems are ridiculous. I know. They're minuscule. Look at what this woman has survived. and yes. And – the fact that she's like thriving and making art out of it. And it's, I think it, she's incredible. I think you're incredible. Uh, everyone should watch um, uh, Amy's Victory Dance on Amazon. And in the time remaining, Brian, we're going to have a little fun. Uh oh. So take your clothes off. <laughs> we're going to play Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Although you're welcome to. <laughs> Number one, are dancers better in bed than regular people? Absolutely. Because they know their body mm-hmm. and they know how to use it. I would agree. Which famous dancer, I mean, I think we know the answer to this. Which famous dancer has inspired you the most in your career? Cecilia Mardo, my teacher. Oh, I thought you were going to say MJ. Dan, no, Cecilia, I mean, Cecilia Mardo was my first dance teacher and she's. Should we know her? Is she someone? She's a teacher, Broadway Dance Center. She teaches, she's to this day teaches and she's my modern jazz teacher. Are you ever inspired by like the classical dancers, like the Balanchines and the? Yeah, I mean, I think they're it's amazing. the only one I can name. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're incredible. It's it's Sylvie Guillaume is one of my favorites. She's mm-hmm. fucking beast. But I mean, it's not my thing. Uh, you've always been like a modern. No, more like yeah, modern hip hop, pop, jazz, jazz funk, whatever they call it. What's the sexiest part of a man's body? Lower back, the arch. Oh, interesting. You know, I just totally went there. I saw it. It's like there's something about grabbing that. Oh, wait. Sorry. My mom might hear this. I got to be careful. Um, that's <laughs> all right. You've already told everyone that you and I have had sex before. I did not say that. <laughs> I, am, I am actually working on my lower back. I've been swimming every day, and I can see it getting better. That is a sexy part of a man's body. Love it. And it's hard when you get to be our age to avoid the back fat, <laughs> as you know. Agreed. All right. This is an F. Mary kill. Do you, do you know the game? What the heck is that? I'm going to give you three names. You have to fuck one, marry one, and kill one. And this is a Brian edition. So oh, your, no. cho- your choices are Brian Austin Green, Brian Luttrell from the Backstreet Boys, and Brian Cranston. Uh, what? Fuck <laughs> one, marry one, kill one. Um, who was the first Brian? Brian Austin Green was on Beverly, I know a different Brian Bever- Green, but he's a choreographer. Beverly Hills 90210. He was Donna's boyfriend. He was married to Megan Fox. He was married to Megan Fox, yeah. He's okay, supposed- so I only know the Backstreet Boy guy. And I never liked him. Because <laughs> so I used to tour with him. I used to open for them, believe it or not. Was he a dickhead? No, he was really nice. And? But I, there, was something, there was something with him. I can't remember what it was. All right. You're not a good person to play this game with. No, no. Like, <laughs> which, never heard of I'm it. not a name person. Which movie director would you most like to emulate? Like, who's... I really like Michael Moore. I mean, Michael's from Michigan. He's a, he's a documentary filmmaker. He's about a cause. I mean, you see him on every MSNBC show right now. Michael Moore. Yeah, yeah Ro- I, Roger and Me, I think, is one of the greatest documentaries mm-hmm. of all yeah. time. Um, it's filmed for a purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, truthfully, tell the truth, you knew me when I was 20. <laughs> How have I held up after all these years? gorgeous. <laughs> oh, stop. I come and I saw you in this light and the hair. You look oh, fabulous. Oh, stop. Go on. What if he said, you know, not everybody ages well. <laughs> you look <laughs> I think we've both aged well. I mean, you, you're a dancer, so of course you've aged well. Yeah. You've still got but your the skin body. looks better. But um, I, I have decent skin. That's Keels? from being an oily Jew. Keels? No, no, just drugstore moisturizer. moisturizer. Yeah, but just like Curel, nothing fancy, just drugstore cream. Uh, Brian, how can people follow you on all of your various socials? Um, well, I am at Brian Thomas Films website, Instagram across the board. Brian Thomas Films. But my uh, business is Spin Kick Pictures. So um, I have two. 
It has been a joy getting to interview you after all these years. I learned new things about you that I never knew. And I wish you the best of luck with this film, and you better thank me in your Oscar speech. I, you know I'm going to. Thanks, sure. baby. Tarek, t plug yourself. Yes, uh, Instagram, Tarek78, T-A-R-I-K-7-8. JB. Stocking Anarchy 12, only on Instagram. Thank you both so much. We'll be off next week for Thanksgiving, but you can look forward to a special Lost Ass featuring comedian and former SiriusXM host Keith Price. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com. Follow me, me, on Twitter and Insta at Adam Sank and on TikTok at Adam Sank Official. I'm also on Tribal, which is the new Twitter. Have a great week, bitches. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.